Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, and alongside me, we got David. Oink, 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 oink. <laughs> also known as Nightly. Other than that, we got Freddie. Oh, we're just keeping it spoopy. Oh, so, how can you keep up with that? Also known as Nighty Night. We're giving nights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over on patreon.com forward slash good night life. That's night with a one. Okay. <laughs> David's breaking down. Do David couldn't even do it. My pleasure on Patreon. You have access to the show ad free and as early as Monday with a post show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Ooh, I tried oh, to the I couldn't. I couldn't breathe. I he was, was holding his laughter so hard. That, is that okay. caught me so off guard. <laughs> it caught us all off guard. <laughs> caught me off guard. Definitely keeping us on our toes. That's for sure. <laughs> but... Keeping things going with the month of Stephen King. Happy birthday, Stephen King. Happy His birthday, birthday. officially passed. But happy belated. We could still happy celebrate. Belated. We're still celebrating it. Exactly. This is our second month of our Stephen King month. Super excited to jump into this. Just honestly, we've saw so many great movies. We had a fantastic guest last week, which was Phil, who oh. kind of covered for both David and for Freddie. So thank you, thank Phil. you, Phil. Thank you, thank so you, so much you. for doing that. Um, but we covered Salem's Lot, we covered The Dead Zone, Pet Cemetery, and now, kicking this month off, we're gonna be covering Misery. Oh. First and foremost, thoughts. Is this your first time, Freddie? This is my first time. Really? I was the horror virgin this Mine time too. Oh wow! Really? Just kidding. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I mean, I saw the Family Guy it. version. Oh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. I've oh, seen this before. Okay. I mean, I have seen that too, but... Um, You've seen this before? I think I have. I remembered it, but I don't remember watching it. I've seen this in middle school, like in class. Yeah, I think that I was, was like a first teenager when yeah. I watched this. What do you think, Freddie? Okay, I'll go first. Um, so for Misery, I fucking love this movie. Ooh. It's so good. Uh, I adore it. I was smiling throughout. and Oh, wow. That's kind of creepy. It's, it's one of those things where it's like... The thing that always gets me for someone who loves movies so much is the performances. Yeah. And they both absolutely kill it. But I have to give it up to Kathy Bates. Kathy oh, Bates man. absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I had to look it up. I was like, she would have at least been nominated for Best Actress in the Oscars. She has to be. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, she was. And she won. Mm -hmm. So she won Best Actress that year for the Oscars, and rightfully so. But the pacing, the the stress it gave me, the anxiety, uh, the great tension in this movie. I thought everything was so well done and great filmmaking. And I was like looking up the director and stuff like that. He made one of my all-time favorite films of all I mean, of all time. All-time favorite uh, films of all time. Exactly. I had to say it twice. It's so good. <laughs> when Harry like Met Sally. Um, no, but it's also really. a really good movie. But... Oh my god, did I just forget it? Oh, oh. It's also Stephen King, The Body, it is Stand By Me. Stand oh, By Me stand is by one me. of my favorite films of all time. And I can see how he just like did such a good job directing this movie because the camera angles and the editing, it's just so clean cut and it just feels like it's a well shot movie. But that's my thoughts on yeah. this. Yeah, to go off that, I think uh, Kathy Bates and James can uh, really just... James Caan. Just present such great acting in this, and yeah. I think that's what truly makes this great back and forth. Yeah, this is a. Uh, I know this was a very like 
iconic movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, after this release, and yes. uh, a lot of people know of it. Um, and it's it's a great it does such a great job job consistently building suspense, uh, building anxiety. Um, and it's shot beautifully, like Freddie was saying. Um, I was watching. Well, Bella was in the room while I was watching this, but she um, commented that it was it very much is akin to a almost 50 style approach of shooting this and it, it invokes almost like a Hitchcock film and the way it's shot. Yeah. And I think that Definitely is a agree. compliment. Yeah. Um, and I agree with her as well. But yeah, man. Uh, Mystery me, fucking rules. Yeah. This movie to me, when it comes to like the Stephen King films, like of course, like a lot of them are horror, but for me, this is like, tr- like, oh, like this horrific. Is like thing. this is yeah. the kind of stuff that scares me. Yeah. Um, and people are scary. Yeah. People, people are, are terrifying. Scary. Scary. Exactly. <laughs> I'm um, sure this was something that Stephen King always felt like. Fuck! What if I come into that one fan? Yeah, and it's it's, fan. it's crazy thinking about that perspective, right? Of him being a writer, yeah. writing about a writer being kidnapped by. I feel like he always a big fan. fan. A writer. Like, it's always yeah. a writer. Yeah. In, in Salem's Lot, it was also a writer. Yeah. <laughs> right? What you know, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but this movie's amazing. It holds up so much, and it's still fantastic. And it's such a great movie. I could not have said it better. Y'all both nailed it. Like, honestly, this movie's fantastic. Yeah. Like, I, I, I've i always loved this movie. I've always had a soft spot for this movie. And it's just, just something about just, like, Kathy Bates acting and James Cann's acting. Like, it's it's, it's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. like everybody in this movie is just so pleasant. Um, yeah. And Virginia, oh, my fucking God, I love her. Yeah, like, hilarious. She's awesome. Dude, <laughs> Virginia and Buster are my favorite part about this so movie. So fucking funny. Like, yeah. th- they are so good. Virginia still got it. Like, she's like, <laughs> she's like I'm trying to get my groove back. And I was like, I feel Hell you, yeah. Virginia. You go. Get, let Buster know. But, let Buster know. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's great, though. And I don't know if you guys... Which I don't think you saw because you weren't on that episode with us. But Virginia, her, I believe her name is Frances, what? Frances something. Sternhagen. Sternhagen. Um, Sternhagen. Sternhagen. Yeah. Sternhagen. Okay. She was also in The Mist. Yes, she was. She was in The Mist. And I was just like, this is just great. I just love seeing reoccurring characters in Stephen King's universe and reoccurring people, I should say, not characters, um, in Stephen King's universe. And it's just, right. it's just pleasant. Like James Cannon, Elf. Yeah. Just, uh, like, yeah. just <laughs> like it. Or The Godfather. Or The Godfather. That's true. That's where I, I like, those definitely are know him from. But yeah, Godfather and Elf. But yeah. Same, same. One hundred percent the same movie. <laughs> you truly watch it, <laughs> but let's go and just jump straight up into this misery. Directed by Rob Reiner, released November thirtieth of nineteen ninety. Runtime of one hour and forty seven minutes with a budget of twenty million dollars. That's actually kind of surprising to me. Yeah, this movie feels so small. Yeah, it does. It does. That's like, why I'm like, I said, whoa, when I yeah, heard that. Like yeah. that's. It has to be for the prosthetics of breaking them legs. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Car flip. <laughs> yeah. It probably was that as well. Yeah. I, I don't know. But the, the, I was kind of shocked when, when I saw it was like $20 million. This movie feels so like contained. I mean, for the majority of the time, it just takes place in a room. So, right. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So hmm. uh, box office of $61.3 million and a rating of 90%. The 90, I think, is like right. This is perfect point. for it. Perfect. Yeah. Year release too. Yeah, exactly. Just phenomenally done. <laughs> 1990 got 90%. Yeah. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> 
We open to our protagonist, Paul Sheldon, typing a book on a typewriter, a match, cigarette, wine glass, and bottle of Dom Perignon on ice next to him. He takes out the paper, reading his words and writing the end on the bottom of the page. Staking the, uh, excuse me, stacking the pages together of his untitled story, putting it in his bag and popping that wine and, and lighting that cigarette with one finger. That shit is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah that's a like, badass move. Just like, fuck. Learn, those, uh, learn that from his mob days. Yeah. <laughs> He's so happy with himself. from the Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> he takes a, a celebratory inhale and exhale, cut to him getting ready to go, throwing a snowball at a tree. Who the fuck drives a Mustang in the snow? <laughs> oh my god! So I had I, right I when this happened, I had to text Ryan. Yeah, and Ryan is from the Good My uh, Good Night oh, Movie Club. That's right, and he loves Mustangs. He used to drive one. And when I texted him, I was like, "Hey, how would a 1965 Mustang do in the snow?" And he was like, "Fucking horrible! If you want to <laughs> die from losing traction and having no shocks, that sounds like it's <laughs> verbatim what he said, and sounds like exactly <laughs> yeah. what he said." It's like he'd flip over. Oh, yeah. It, it, oh, he didn't even ask why. He just told me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I appreciate that. Driving down the mountain, excited as shotgun by Junior Walker and all the and all stars plays loudly in my headphones. That's just jamming. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh yeah. Uh, the snow starts coming down harder. Paul turns on his wipers, but still hard to see out of his windshield. Passing a sign with the next thirteen miles um, being winding. Okay, you know what's interesting. He checks out, right? Why wouldn't the fucking front desk dude be like, yo, you know it's a storm tonight, right? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, yeah. I mean, sometimes you just, I mean, sometimes you could just leave. I don't know. You're right. I mean, if I was a front desk clerk, I would have been like, hey, you're checking out. There's a storm. Are you going to be just going into town and waiting it out? Like, you know what's fucked up? If I was a front desk person, you I wouldn't say, say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whatever, man. Fuck <laughs> you, Paul so, Sheldon. Now we but, added realistic context to this scene. I do like how you guys brought up, like, um, this has a lot of film style with, like, Psycho, because the way they shoot him driving down the highway, too, it's like the outside perspective of the windshield looking into the car, which is kind of like the same thing that happens in Psycho when it's mm-hmm. raining and pouring, and we see the main character drive to the mo- uh, Bates Motel for the first time, too. So I love that comparison. This is true. The car goes out of control. He secures his hand on his new book. I love how that is his main like yeah. priority. Right. I'm the exact same way when it comes to frosted flakes from the grocery <laughs> store. And this is mine. <laughs> Protect at all costs. <laughs> his hand is on his new book. He flies off the edge of the mountain, tumbling down the hill, car upside down. Paul is sitting down in an office. His agent, Marcia, asks him about his back. He smiles, hugging it, calling it an old friend that he saw sitting in his closet. She tells him that it is that it has character he shares when he wrote his first book he used to carry it around looking for a publisher claiming that he was a written he was a writer back then marcia comments that he still is a writer but he doesn't think so um since he started writing the misery series love the fact that he has a character named misery and we hear the name just hammered on our head oh yeah so much and how it's just pretty much like a constant feeling for himself he feels misery he literally feels misery and it, it's great. Like, yeah, I love totally. that. It's a constant feeling for him. 
and how much he hates his characters. Uh, <laughs> bringing over overboard with his first painting of Misery's Child, claiming that uh, claiming that his series would will still be growing, adding that his first printing sold over a million copies. He doesn't want to hear it. She describes all the fruitful things this series has done for him, complaining about him killing killing her off. Paul never meant for the book to become his life, and he didn't want to write her forever, reminding her that he's leaving for Colorado so he can finish his his new book. Morbidly concluding that if he could make this work he would he would have something to write on his tombstone cut back to his overtone his overturned car fucking editing is just magnificent yeah i was gonna actually mention that it's fantastic it ages well it's just stunning to look at yeah it's absolutely incredible and you can definitely see like the stylistic bring back from like uh stand by me and stuff like that right. on there to hear and it's fantastic now that you bring up the cost of like their budget of being 20 million dollars there's a lot of production value into it they cared about every single shot that they did and they probably had to get a lot of crazy rigs to make this happen because you even get this really great pov shot of like the car flipping over and stuff like that you get the hood shot looking into the windshield you get the interior shots of him driving the car there's a lot of work that they had to do just for the scene alone mm-hmm. and i'm guessing the production cost would have probably needed the 20 million dollars maybe i don't know yeah. there there's i don't know this movie just still feels really small compared it's to true. that but the way they shoot it seems very expensive and very like possibly clean they spent it on the pig yeah they probably <laughs> spent it all on the, pig. Exactly. the award-winning pig that they had to like Honestly, a, he's I actually think, an all-star. He's, I think a lot of it went to James Cann, though, because yeah. James Cann was a fucking oh, I'm sure too. popular yeah. as actor around this time too. That's a good so, point. Yeah, like, uh, like uh, I'm sure a lot of it was like, "Yo, we need James Cann. I can't do this without him," kind of thing. But it's it is interesting because even even though like I I do agree like most of those shots definitely are expensive, which is probably why a lot of the actors that we do see in here are kind of uh, beeline. Um, and even at the time, Kathy Bates was as well. And then she fucking nailed it. Right. Um, so I think a lot of it also probably went into um, uh, marketing as well. Yeah. So, yeah. He passes out. Someone using a crowbar to get to him out of the car, to get him out of the car. They drag him out to perform CPR on him. He gasps awake. They grab his bag and carry him out in the, in the pillowing snow. Bro, Annie Wilkes is fucking strong. Right. <laughs> like, damn. Super strong. Uh, Paul Paul wakes up with blurry vision hearing a woman saying he's going to be just fine and she's his number one fan. That would have scared the shit out of me. Yeah. That alone. And we're like, what the fuck? What? What do you mean? You I love Nightlight. I'm your number one fan. She <laughs> <We> wake up. <laughs> I, that that's not me. Like <laughs> you, you want Freddy? No. Looking around the room, he sees an IV, then looks over to see a woman standing over him, smiling. He asks where he is. She leans in, telling him that um, that they are outside Silver Creek and that he's been there for two days. She introduces herself as Annie Wills. He whispers what she said, calling her his number one fan. She laughs, claiming that's correct. Also telling telling him that she's a nurse. Annie feeds him two pills. Fade to Annie taking out the IV from his hand and feeds him more pills the uh, this time he asks what what are they beforehand she tells him that they're normal no no real no real that sounds right and they're uh for his pain and i'll be like you got tylenol like i know what that actually is like uh he allows her to give it to him she helps him take a sip from the water he he thanks her as she put as she pats his face with a towel um looking at her paul asks why why he isn't in the hospital 
any claims the blizzard was too strong and she couldn't risk it, letting, letting him know that the phone lines are down when she tried to call. Fucking genius. This is a perfect way to disable the phone Yep. in a horror yeah. movie. This is great. Like, phone lines are down, and I love the consistency of it, and I feel like she always knew that he was going to leave out of the room. Yeah. She's just like, we'll get there, but it's great. He tries to get up, yelping in pain. She tells him to rest, sharing that he almost died. Cuts to Paul at a, a bit more healed, Annie feeding him more pills. She promises him that it won't hurt forever. He wonders if he'll ever be able to walk again. She assures him that he will be able to, adding that his arm will be fine as well. She shares that his shoulder was dislocated, but she was able to pop that sucker back in. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. She's intense. Yeah, she is. Now, I want to talk about Annie a little bit. And we'll probably dive in a little bit deeper into the post-show of this. But the reason why I feel like she has such this fantastic persona is based off of her previous marriage. So mm-hmm. we get we get a little bit of light of that in her previous marriage. We don't get much of it, but you get more of it in Castle Rock season two. Um, but she has such this interesting, I guess, set with her. She's just a very intriguing person to me. And honestly, hands down, my favorite King character of all time. Yeah. I think she is mm. just so fascinating and she's just, oh, she's amazing. Yeah. I remember when I was younger and I first heard about this film, um, her appearance in this scene like always frightened me because of the fact that. So looming. <laughs> the, well, like the way that she's just presented as almost like kind and she's yeah. like yeah. turtleneck, looks sweet. She's got like the cross she's not necklace. Intimidating. Yeah, she's not intimidating, but like. Like she has so much potential to do so much harm and yeah. and just explode and it, that's just terrifying to me. That's I scary. think with Kathy Bates being the actress in this and portraying her as Annie is that she has really good mannerisms of how she says stuff and how she delivers stuff. Although she looks very kind and gentle and very like outgoing and I'm here to help you. She also has this power between her lines and like, I'm the one that's in control. It's like, oh yeah, your shoulder gave me trouble, but I shoved it back in and I got it. Like I got it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like, she's, she looks harmless, she but you know, she'll do what she wants persona. to do. She has a very intense persona. Yeah. And it's all in her mannerism of how she uses it in her face. Mm-hmm. Her facial it's expressions true. say so much more than what her dialogue is. And then the way she delivers the dialogue is just like, huh, there's something off putting about you, but you're very sweet. So it works perfectly for this character. That's very fair. Yeah. She removes his blanket, smiling about the work she did for his legs. He wretches at the sight of his legs. She tells him not as bad as it looks. She goes over the list of of issues with his legs, confirming that he needs to remain immobile, promising that she'll she'll take Paul to the hospital as soon as the roads are open up. She covers him again, honored to have him heal in her house. Got to Marcia in her office requesting to speak with the silver, the silver, Creek chief of police or sheriff. The man on the phone tells her that um, he's both. And I love, I love this one. Buster is just like, like, <laughs> which one you need? Like, <laughs> I'm both. Yeah, I'm dude, both. I was cracking up. <laughs> he's so good. I love when he comes on screen. <laughs> he's so great. Um, going over the rest of of the, going over the rest of the shit that he's also over. He introduces himself as Buster. Asking what he can do for her. She shares that she's a literary agent of Paul Sheldon and she thinks he's in trouble. This piques Buster's attention, confirming that it is the Paul Sheldon. She he tells her that he understands that he's been through he's 
been there for the past six weeks, but she just called there and that they said that he checked out of the lodge last Tuesday, thinking this can be strange. He's not sure, asking if he calls her before he checks out of a hotel. She chuckles that he doesn't, but shares that Paul Paul's daughter hasn't heard from him either, and that he usually keeps in touch when uh, he has a new book about to release. Buster writes this information down, asking if she thinks... Uh, thinks that he's missing. Uh, Marcia believes that he's being silly, embarrassed with the phone conversation. He tells her that he'll put his name in their system, and if anything turns up, he'll call her right back. That's the best. That's fantastic. He just puts a post-it on the wall. Yeah, just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, I do love how his interest gets more and more peaked as time right. goes along. Yeah, he realizes something is up. Well, I feel like it's also like a very quiet town where nothing happens. So he's not worried about it in the beginning. But he's like, oh, there is something going down. Yeah. I should be doing my job. And I think that's where it gets a little bit more intense. That's fair. And he had, he's such yeah. a great character, too. He has, he has a really I love good Buster. Intuition. Yes. Yes. He wants to do, like, good. You can tell. He's a well-written character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, him and Virginia. She's yeah. pleased um, with that, and they hang up. Virginia, Buster's wife and deputy, drops off some food, joking about their morning being busy since he got a phone call. <laughs> he asks her uh, when was the blizzard. She tells him last Tuesday, wondering why. He ponders that. Um, he ponders that for. Um, Excuse me. He ponders for a moment, saying that there is no reason. Annie is shaving Paul's beard. He comments it being a miracle in finding him. He chuckles that it wasn't a miracle, admitting to following him. What? <laughs> He's confused. She shares that it wasn't a secret that he was staying at at the Silver Creek since she's his number one fan. Okay, but you were following me. Yeah, like you were like creepy. Man. Like right. my question would be like, were you standing outside my window or like? Oh yeah, take me to the hospital. Think about that. Like fucking take me to the hospital. Yeah. Like the road. Like come on. <laughs> I feel like in this scene he can't say much because he has a or she has a, a razor, razor to, his to his neck. So yeah. he's like, I'm not Ooh, gonna like call out. agitate anything. Yeah. Sure. It's like I'm not gonna. I mean, make he's probably this not weird. even thinking that though, right? Yeah, he probably isn't. But I think because like he seems so calm in this moment, just for setting up the the scene or the story point. I think it's really. It, I mean, it could be a lot of stuff too because yeah, yeah. obviously razor to the throat, also yeah. sedated, also injured. He's not thinking straight. He can probably like, oh yeah, you were following me. That's fine. Yeah. Even though like, no, red flag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Hands down, red flag. Big red flag. <laughs> you were fucking following me. Gross. Adding that she would sit outside and look at his window, wondering what he's what's going on in the room with the world's greatest writer. He shoots his head back towards her, joking for her to say that last part again. She tells him not to move, but she continues that she was on her way home, spotting him leaving the lodge, wondering why he went on a drive while while a blizzard was coming. Paul smirks that he didn't know that it was that he didn't know about the storm, but she considers them to both be lucky. He can write more books. She smiles how much she loves his misery books and knowing them all by heart a, a call a, excuse me i don't know what i was trying to say um in that moment but she returns with him being brilliant annie is finished with his shave he asks when when she believes the phone lines will be up he wants to call his daughter an agent she smiles telling him that it shouldn't be much longer asking him for their numbers so that he can keep so she can keep trying them for him She's, I love that. She's really she's smart. Fucking smart. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. She's so she smart. She plans ahead, and yes. she also creates this illusion that she's on his side. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. She is about to leave, asking him if he would allow her to read his new book inside his back. He tells he um, tells her that he he doesn't usually allow people to read his things in early stages like this one, but he allows he allows her to. And I like how he says that. Like he's definitely like buttering her up a little bit. Yeah. 
and like she's like blushing and shit. She's like, "Oh, Paul, you slick talker." <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's just very thankful at this point that yeah. he's safe and she he's being taken care of. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then, like, I love this though because he sees how she reacts to this early on. Yeah, to these particular compliments, mm-hmm. and um, he utilizes that for his tactics many of times later. Yeah, which is fantastic. She is stoked thanking him um, as he's in pain. She leaves out to get him another pill, continuing to ask questions about his book, wondering what the title of the book is and what it's about. Paul is left uh, left in the room answering her questions, not knowing the title of what it or what it is about just quite yet, wanting her to read it to tell him what it is about and possibly coming up with a title for him. Cut to Buster speaking with the lodge host Libby about Paul's stay. Libby believes that nothing is strange with Paul leaving. He tells Buster that he orders champagne before he leaves, um, then he pays and leaves. Buster asks if he had uh, long-distance phone calls or packages to come in. <laughs> the Federal Express. Um, Libby pulls out a, a pa- pulls out a ledger, thinking that Paul doesn't seem like he wants anything out of the ordinary. Adding that he drives up in a '65 Mustang, claiming it it helps him to think. I wonder. Um, I'm surprised to see that they didn't use the champagne bottle that he ordered before he left as a like a thought process of like driving uh, under, under the, influence. the influence, and that's yeah. how he got in the car accident. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Buster looks at the ledger, Libby telling him that he's been a good guest, hoping that nothing happened to him. He gives his thanks to Libby. Sure, um, sure he writes, or he, I don't know what the hell I was trying to say. Oh, I think I was trying to say this. He he gives his thanks to Libby, Libby thinking that he's probably on his way in New York right now. Meanwhile, Annie is feeding Paul some soup. She brings up that he that she's only about 40 pages in the in his book. She's nervous about criticizing his story, but he can take it. Starting by telling him that she that he it is brilliantly written, but she's upset about the profanity. He asks if it bothers her, Annie responding that it doesn't have nobility to it. He shares that his characters are slum kids and that he was once one too and that they all talk that way she exclaims that they do not and she goes over an angry rant on scenarios while utilizing swears spilling the the and they're like minor swears like yeah. right uh, very innocent swears very super yeah super innocent swears um so i love how she uses her f- form of swearing to people yeah you old cockadoodle <laughs> <laughs> well i i love this because we get right into it we see her have this moment of split personality yeah and where we yeah. question like is she is she fully mentally okay and i love that we get right into it within like 20 minutes of the movie Very true. right this is where i said like kathy bates has great mannerisms in this movie this is a perfect scene that explores all of that because she's not even looking at him at some point she's looking up yeah. in the air and she's Whoa. still talking really loud and she's shaking her hand and she's spilling yes. a little bit of soup it's her whole body giving the performance not just her actions and i'm just like you're wow. so right because she does this it's one crazy where she really loses it and her eyes widen and they go in different directions right it, it's it's fucking nuts yeah it's not just delivering the performance it's it. just like her voice and her delivery it's literally her whole body's getting yeah. into it and i yeah. think that just blows me away of how She's so calm and collected and then just breaks. 
It's fucking genius. Yeah. To be it's, honestly, it's brutally great. honest, like it's fucking genius. Like Kathy Bates is a master in her craft and she's always a delight to even see in like American Horror Story and stuff like right. that as well. So she's and a fucking delight. The filmmaking is great on this too because you can explore all of this stuff through the editing. Show her face. Show yeah. the soup dropping down. Show how he's reacting. Yeah. So it's a really collective, collectively a really great scene to like see. Yeah. And I think the reason why um, Bella mentioned earlier when you were watching this movie, David, of how this feels Hitchcockian, this movie very much feels like it had a storyboard and yeah. it followed it mm -hmm. because yeah. of the, the way these shots work and things like that. That so is like, the best yeah. way to put it because yeah. you're totally right with that. Yeah. At least with that vibe. Right. Spilling the soup on his bed, getting him, getting up, blaming Paul for spilling the soup. She's like, oh, look what you made me do. And I love how Paul keeps yes. his fucking cool. He's, he's so like calm. I feel like he reacts the same way I react when I come across people like this i'm just like just you know keep it low-key right, right if you stop breathing they won't see you <laughs> right we're all from san francisco in the bay area it's like we see like some you know there's like people being like loud and being crazy just in the stream we're like don't just breathe yeah, just like keep going straight just don't interact I'm don't just think about work yeah don't breathe and oink just like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, he stares at her for a moment. She apologizes profusely about getting so worked up. He nervously tells her that it is fine. Ain't Annie telling him that she loves him. Changing it, <laughs> changing it that she meant his mind and creativity and leaves out of the room. Paul nervously watches her leaving out of the room. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> but what a fucking scene. Like, yeah. Just to reiterate that. It lays the groundwork for the entire vibe of the whole film. Film. Hands down. Yeah. Cut to Buster in Virginia um, driving down the road. Virginia sarcastically calling this fun, then touches his leg. And I'm like, oh, Virginia. Dude, I love her. My God. He reminds her that in this cruise of Virginia, you're not my wife. You're my deputy. She's like, well, then the deputy would rather be home in the sheets with the sheriff. <laughs> with the sheriff. So good. But she'd rather uh, be at home under the covers with the sheriff. He screams for her to stop, but she doesn't She doesn't understand why. They get out of the car. He goes up to a broken down branch. Virginia blames it on the snow, but he wants to still check it out. He walks carefully down a snowy hill, searching for any clues for Paul, Paul's whereabouts. Continuing down, Buster falls into the snow as she watches at the top, asking if he needs help. He angrily comes back up, just missing pa Paul's car. She wonders if, she, if he really thinks that... Uh, He's out there, Buster hoping that he isn't because he would be dead if he is. They leave to go to the newspaper office, Annie passing them up, continuing to look straight ahead. Annie comes back home, entering Paul's room, apologizing for waking him up. He tells her that it is fine, showing him his book. She excitedly comes, comes to his bedside, letting him know that there was a whole batch of them in the store. He takes this as, as uh, the roads being open. She quickly covers up, covers it up that only the one going into town is adding that she called the hospital and spoke with the orthopedic surgeon and told him who he was and what happened. She shares what he's what he said, then them sending an ambulance for him as soon as the road to the hospital opens. I would have been like, well, isn't the hospital in the town? Yeah. Like. Where would it be? Yeah, where is it? Yeah. <laughs> Paul asks about the phones working. She excuses that her um, hers is still out, but the ones in the town work just fine. I mean, she's technically not wrong. Yeah. Technically not wrong. She sits next to him, speaking about his book and letting her know that she spoke with his agent, but Paul wonders about his daughter and her going crazy. Annie ignores him. He continues that today is her birthday. She gets up sharing that his agent said um, that she will tell his daughter that he's okay. 
Damn. You know what I would have loved if he uh, heard of that and maybe questioned it and brought up something else like, oh, I also said that I had to be here tomorrow as a lie. And then they call her call her bluff, right? And see if she responds like, oh, she also mentioned that too. And that's how he would have. Uh, yeah, that would have been great. That's completely fair. Yeah. Because he definitely, you could definitely tell he has suspicions. Yeah. Because he's just like, why aren't you letting me, why aren't you letting me do anything? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, uh, at first, like, sure, I thought you were being nice and all this other stuff. And now and I just. said you love me. Right, yeah. <laughs> and you said you love me. Um, but it's interesting because, like, I love the fact that we have context of his daughter, but we never, like, hear anything about his daughter yeah. ever. Yeah. Like, when he comes back, like, it's like Marcy is the one to have lunch with him. Yeah. <laughs> Not as good. It's a year and a half later, though. Um, but he will have... Oh, excuse me. But he will have to wait until tomorrow to speak with her himself. Before she leaves, she she compliments him on being a poet with his writing. Cut to Annie bringing Paul food in bed and letting him know that she's on page 75 in his book. He wonders if that means his new story is okay. She tells him no, calling it great, picking up her copy of Misery's Child, calling it perfect. And I love that he was talking about his previous story. Yeah. I love that. She's such Uh, a flirt. That too. (laughs) That too. Um, Paul's door opens up a pig coming into the room um, hopping on his bed <laughs> Jesus that would scare the fucking shit out of me go I go love go how go he's go just on. like staring at it like ew yeah <laughs> <laughs> get away from me and he comes back up back into the room all chipper wondering if it's time for him to meet her pig misery He's annoyed as she explains her love for her pig. She gets up, letting him know uh, what page she's on, asking about uh, Dago's painting. He gives the answer to, of the Sistine Chapel. Annie excited, excited, comparing that to Misery's Child. It's like, damn, that's a, it's a huge yeah, comparison. That quite is a stretch. Then honking at her pig as they excitedly <laughs> leave the room together. So I tried doing her. I was going to initially try to do her honk, but. <laughs> Good it. I just could you, you did it. Oink, oink, oink. Yeah. <laughs> you went the, uh, <laughs> the sound effects. You went the old McDonald route. <laughs> yeah. uh, la- later, Annie shares the story about her husband leaving her and how she thought she was going uh, to go crazy. Now, I love this actually based off of what Castle Rock season two did. I actually didn't finish it. I've only seen two episodes of season two, mm-hmm. but she has a daughter. Mm-hmm. And huh. she's constantly with her daughter on the road and she's a travel nurse oh wow with her daughter and i was like that blows my fucking mind yeah like holy shit especially with context of what her history is yeah. right yeah. yeah no that's yeah <laughs> like now that i see this again i want to go back and watch season two of castle rock because mm-hmm. i think that show's canceled now but yeah it did it, it got canceled oh, okay yeah because uh, season one was not good. Um, well, it was okay. It was all right. It was all right. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Thank you. That, that's what it was. You're right. It was fine. She continues that she would uh, work a lot, adding that she also read a lot. This is how she um, found the stories of misery and how much it made it made her happy and forgot all of her worries. She looks at Paul, letting him know that he's had a little something to do with that as well. And she like kind of smirks like, mm. Paul. <laughs> he smirks, turning away as she continues that she uh, just keeps reading it over and over. He pulls a bottle um, that he used um, the bathroom in, getting her attention when he's done. I love that she's like, I like how that's the context of why they're having a conversation is because, yeah, like, because you don't realize it at first. No, uh, you don't realize she's just trying she, to go pee. <laughs> yeah. And she's like looking out the window and she seems right. really um, in thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, 
I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop talking. No more. <laughs> Get out and take my pee. And he takes it uh, uh, from him telling him uh, that she's not against marriage, but it will take a very special guy. Paul agrees as she continues her reasoning while shaking her pee on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She excuses herself to finish reading his book. Now night, Paul is awoken by Annie com- coming into her his room, upset that he killed off misery from his book. Dirty bird. I I love, love that this. insult. <laughs> I love dirty this bird shot. Yeah. Like yeah. and yes, the dirty bird thing, fantastic. Terrifying. But this whole shot of how he kind of just wakes up and it's that whole feeling of just like I feel like someone's watching me. Mhm. And he wakes up from dead sleep, and it's just someone in your Annie room standing in the fucking dark. And it invokes also the questioning of like, is this reality or is this a nightmare? Right. You know, so scary. This yeah. is straight out so of a nightmare. Scary. This is yeah. what like people are afraid of, like waking up and seeing a figure in the dark. Yeah. And this is literally happening to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This 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 scene is powerful. It's terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is one of those scenes right here. And obviously this isn't for the context of this. This is kind of reminds me of like uh, when a stranger calls. Um, I love that movie so much. Um, And if you haven't seen when a stranger calls, definitely watch that. Like it's one of the best lifetime movies of all time. Um, And yes, I do watch lifetime movies. (laughs) They're great. But it reminds me something of that. And something my grandmother would always tell me is know your house. Walk in your house in the dark. Mm hmm. Do not turn lights on. Know how to step around in your house because if someone ever comes into your house, you should know that layout better than them. Yeah. Like you should know where everything is. You should know how to maneuver in your house. You should know where every creek is on your stairs the whole nine. I agree with that. Big time. It's something that's always stuck with me. And it's mainly because my grandmother was super addicted to murder mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> but that stuck with me. You want to know what? That's actually something I've always done too. But it's because when I was younger, I had a fear that Chucky would just appear behind me. I mean, from Child's huh. Play. That's completely fair. That, that could yeah. happen. You that's know. completely fair. Could still happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she argues that uh, she can't be dead. He tells her that's completely co- uh, common during the 1870s for women to die of childbirth. He lightens his tone that Misery's spirit is still alive. She violently shakes his Oof. bed that she doesn't want her dead claiming that he killed her paul groans in pain that he didn't she screams who killed her he tires explaining that she just slipped away but she isn't having it repeating that he killed her she takes a stand holding it over paul as as he cowers and braces for the blow she hits the wall breaking the stand above him telling him that she she thought he was good but she was wrong and that she doesn't think think it can uh be a that she thinks she, she he she can't be around him for a while. Excuse me. At the door, she tells him to not think about anyone coming to get him because she never called them, and nobody knows that he's there. The moment <laughs> where Paul cowers and he puts his one arm up, his one arm that he can, and he's just like bracing for the impact that breaks my heart. Yeah. And it's it's such great acting because he. This older gentleman looks like a little boy at that right. moment. Yes. From like cowering from an abusive parent. Yes. And it's just wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Threatening him that nothing better happened to her because she dies, he dies. Fuck. Then she slams the door. That's yeah. amazing. I feel like that's when this this forceful link is made. It's been established. And uh he knows that episode. he's he's tied here and he's Fucked. Yeah. Like he knows like officially like all of his speculations 
are true. Are true. Yeah. yeah. Paul is in bed, hearing and seeing Annie leave out in her car. He pants, throwing a piece of the board and looking at the door. She struggles. He struggles out of the bed, trying to carefully move his legs out of the bed, then slamming on the ground. Oof. Causing him to scream in pain. This doesn't stop him as he continues trying to pull himself closer to the door. Right when he reaches it, he tries for the handle, but it is locked. Cut to Buster on the phone with Marcia, telling her that there isn't there isn't a point for her to come up there because they are doing everything they can. Agreeing that they are working close with the state police and the FBI and already aware. Guaranteed, if Marcia would have gotten there, he would have been found. Yeah. Because she would have she would have made it a mission. Yeah, like she she would have been like, no, you, you we're doing search parties, like we're we're gonna get this shit happening right now. Yeah, it's interesting hearing that the FBI is involved in all that, and they were like not knocking on people's doors. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> FBI is involved, and then you're just like, all right, it's just Buster and this guy driving <laughs> in a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, true. Before hanging up, he shares that uh, once they hear anything, they will let her know. Virginia hangs up the fo- hangs up her phone, sharing that Paul's credit card hasn't been used uh, since Silver Creek. Buster adding that there are no calls about the article either. Back with Annie speaking with Paul on the ground, softly speaking to him ap- about how she this wouldn't have happened if she had a hospital bed she roughly helps him up paul screams and groans in pain as she throws him on the bed and she's like being mad violent with him like (laughs) she's like no fucks she's just like all right come on get up yeah like and just chucks him on the bed he groans for her to wait as she calls for calls him a crybaby and moves him higher to his pillow she tells him that she was she has a surprise for uh, for him but he has something um that he must do first he asks for a snack but he has to listen first tucking him in she shares that her thinking is a little muddy bringing up the fact that she couldn't remember something on the uh, the witness stand in denver that's interesting Right. Yeah. Like context clues. That's another red flag. But this time she thought clearly, asking, shit, the flag is burning at this point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she said, no one's coming for you. I was just like, well, well fuck. Kill me then. Like, <laughs> why am I here? Yeah. But this time she thought clearly, asking God about him, claiming that they uh, responded that Paul was. Uh, was delivered to her to show him the way. He questions that. She goes to grab a barbecue pit with lighter fluid matches in his story. She begins mm. dousing the, the papers with lighter fluid. He doesn't react, yet he slightly jokes about the snack again. She tells him that there isn't time for jokes, handing him the box of matches. He questions about her wanting to burn his book. She understands the difficulty on her ask. He calmly claims that this isn't difficult for him, adding that he has Uh, His agent has dozens of copies, and there is going to be an auction in New York soon. Thinking it to be fine, she tells him to light the match then. I was like, that was a baller-ass move. She's like, then light the match, Paul. Yeah, honestly. Light the match. It's very confident. He continues to say that it's no big deal, Annie telling him to do it while moving the matches closer to him. He hesitates, Annie knowing this is the only copy, spitting out a tidbit about him making copies of his books, have him not making copies of his books since he was 24. Because he's superstitious. And like he looked at her like, fuck, I didn't even know I was superstitious. Yeah. Right. Like, I just didn't do it. Like <laughs> you know me. She's really than good. I know me. Yeah. Right? Knowing this is the reason why he's always come back to Silver Creek Lodge, because he told he told that story to Merv Griffin eleven years ago. And he's yeah. like Merv Griffin. He's a traditional. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, he's yeah. just like my brother? No. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and it's great to like have a character development like this too, because we know that he's a man of just like Routine, 
he has that one match. He has yeah. the cigarette. He has the champagne. Goes to the same lodge. He only has one copy. He's that type of person. He only drives the and 65 her, Mustang in the snow, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's another thing, too. He has that Mustang for a reason, too. Everything he does has purpose to it. Right. Everything to he, make sure his book is as best as he can write. Yeah. It, like, for him, it's a superstition thing. But at the same time, it also feels like this is all the stuff that's brought me luck. So let me continue doing that. Right, yeah. I don't want to break streak. He's always been in control of his own life, and now he's in the situation where he can't. Right. Which is a great yeah. opposition that, of where he's at. I would even add to your your uh, great analogy yeah. there of where uh, he lost that control when the blizzard took over. Right. Paul um, margins or Paul bargains with her that he will not publish it and no one will will have to know that it even exists. That isn't enough for Annie, claiming that his mind won't be free until it is gone. She continues trying to convince him while pouring the fluid on his covers. With the matches on his chest, he lights it and throws it in a pit, lighting his new story on fire. Annie panics. Putting the fire out, a helicopter flies overhead. Buster is inside, pointing out the uh, Wilkes farmhouse, but without a Mustang. You know... <laughs> When I think of Buster's name, I don't know if y'all have ever seen Don't Be a Menace. Have y'all ever seen uh, that movie? I, I see the cover. It's like a guy with a water gun, right? Yeah, it's the Wayne's Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen it. super fucking silly. It's from the 90s, and it's literally, it's uh, Menace to Society, but it's a parody of just pretty much hood movies. Got it. And there's a scene in there <laughs> where they're do they're playing uh dominoes or cards or something and like the guy tells them just like all right everybody put five bucks in and then somebody asks him and he's just like he's like oh how much are we putting in it's like five bucks buster <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> every time i think of buster it's the third thing that pops into my head and i always i'm trying to hold in laughs mm -hmm. <laughs> because of that fucking scene oh that movie does not hold up, but <laughs> god damn is it hilarious. Knowing that there isn't anything... <laughs> now I'm thinking about him fucking punching kids. Okay. Um, oh knowing god. that there isn't... There's literally a scene where he punches children. <laughs> and I'm not Me adding it to my queue. <laughs> Please add it to your queue because he punches kids and literally the, the girl is like... What are you doing? I'm trying to win Best Actor in the Soul Train Awards. <laughs> Knowing that there isn't anything else that they that that way, Buster decides to circle back. Annie and Paul watches as they fly away. Annie commenting about the uh, winter getting shorter and shorter, asking him what he thinks. Paul doesn't look at her, telling her that uh, he doesn't know. She hands him his pills, ripping the matches out of his hand and and leaving out of the room. He hides the pills on the side of his mattress. Cut to Annie uh, watching a dating show in bed. Paul is in bed eating dinner. He uses his fork to puncture the hole in the mattress, placing the pills inside. I actually love this because he cleans it first. Yeah. He makes sure to clean it first so, so it doesn't food. leave any food traces yeah. on the actual mattress. Smart man. Genius. So Genius. Good. Annie presents Paul in a wheelchair, but he's not amused. She surpri she's surprises him with an electric razor. He jokes about it, claiming that um, this is a big day for him, telling him to sit tight so she can uh, set up his new studio. Annie comes back in the room, setting up a table and placing a typewriter on it. I'd be like, well, if you know me so well, you know I can't write unless I'm inside the Silver Creek Lodge. Yeah, true. <laughs> right. Wanting Paul to write a new book about Misery's return. He questions it, Annie knowing that he didn't mean to kill his character. She daydreams that the book will be in, in her honor for saving his life and nursing him back to health. She's ecstatic. Paul questions how she expects him to come up with something. But she expects his masterpiece. 
Um, she pushes him to the table. Paul explains that this isn't how books are written, but she believes that the view will inspire him. She leaves out of the... It's just like a view of this farm and your fucking one pig. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I'm so inspired. <laughs> um, but she believes... She, <laughs> <laughs> she leaves out of the room for a moment. He notices a bobby pin on the ground. Uh, while looking at it, he asks he asks her about her neighbors. She tells him not to worry about that as she comes back into the room with ink and paper. She shares that he, he um she's got a deal on the typewriter because uh, uh it was it's is missing the letter N, telling the sales lady that N is one of the letters in her favorite writer's name. He spins it back at her. He's like, "Oh, Funny. That's the two favorite letters. That's the two letters in my favorite nurse's name. She <laughs> blushes. Oh, Paul, you, you, <laughs> whatever the fuck she says. You dirty birdie. <laughs> Is that what she says? No. Oh, I don't know. It's like, oh, this, this gal. <laughs> um, she blushes asking her if she did good. And that's another thing. She always wanted to know, like, like she wants validation. Reassurance. Exactly. Yeah. She wants that instant gratification from yeah. him. He tells her that she did great, but uses the paper that she purchased as an excuse for her to go back in town because it smudges. And he doesn't understand because it costs the most, so she doesn't know why it's smudged. It's sh- he shows her that it smudges, wanting her to um, part, wanting her to be part of the whole writing process. She is walking away, sternly thanking him, asking if he needs anything else um, while she's in town. She sarcastically yet seriously asks if she, if he needs a tiny tape recorder or handmade set of writer slippers. She, uh, he tells her that, that the paper is fine and I love how he looks at her. He's just like, paper, paper is fine. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, paper is good. good. You know what? Fuck it. This paper's fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll just use it. <laughs> um, she starts arguing if he's sure. He asks, um, what's the matter? And he starts shouting about all the things that she does for him, letting him know that she'll get his paper, but he um, he better show her some respect. She slams the stack of papers on his legs. Ugh. Paul groans in pain, but Annie leaves. Damn, this scene is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. A combination phenomenal. of mentally and physically abusive. It is so great. He takes this to um, be his chance to obtain the bobby pin so he can unlock the door to take a message from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back because he's willing to the door. He works to pick the lock, but he drops the pin again. He picks it up. He's <laughs> fucking determined. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Working the lock again, surprised when he gets it unlocked. He makes it out to the front door, but it's also locked. He's like, oh, fuck, of course. <laughs> Opening the, another door, he sees the phone on the side table. He spins the rotor, but no, no dial tone. He re- realizes that Annie gutted the phone. You're just like, you're a psychopath. Yeah. Well, what the fuck? she planned ahead like we spoke about earlier, right? Exactly. For whatever reason, if he kept pushing for the phone when the storm happened, he would have picked up the phone and seen, oh, it really is. The phone lines are still cut, right? But right. at this moment, he he has his suspicions and picks it up and looks himself because he's already su- super suspicious of her. But, yeah. I mean, she planned that from the moment he got there. How much do you think was planned? Do you think like initially 
her plan was to because because the way I feel it is that she was just gonna run him off the road. If I the feel the same way. Didn't I, yeah. happen. If I, he didn't crash, right? I felt like, like she was gonna make him crash. It was gonna be a Tim Cloverfield Lane situation, which, honestly, in my opinion, Tim Cloverfield Lane is one hundred percent misery. Yeah, I agree wow. with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. Gonna put great that on comparison right now. Um, but anyway, um, I think you're right. I yeah. think. Uh, I think no matter what, the goal was to get him home and to nurse him back. Exactly. So, like, I think that whole concept of him being there is not by accident. So, I think, like, with the locks being only uh, key facing yeah. and things like that, like, that all makes sense to me as this is something that was completely planned. Um, now, what's interesting, though, is where the fuck did Paul think he was going to go <laughs> when he got out there? What do you mean? Like when he gets outside, where are you going? Oh, like out out of the bedroom? No, like he tried leaving. Like where are you where are you gonna go? I mean, it's better What's than your plan. Yeah, there, I was about right? to say like is it though? at this point like I don't know from what you're seeing I, and what she's doing, you have to like fight to survive. Well, of course, but, point, but at the like, same time, like you you also want to be smart. You're only in a wheelchair. Right. There's snow. Yeah, you're not wheeling in snow. Wow. No way! Crawling. I mean, he snow. might. He might. Abs- <laughs> he might actually try because he tried driving a Mustang in snow. But <laughs> like, right. it's just. I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting. Like, I would would have loved for him to actually take that moment to okay, bobby pin door unlocked. Try the phone. Cool, that works. I know I can get in and out. Mm-hmm. Go back in and now start counting the time it takes her to get from town and come back. Yeah. But it's it's difficult, right? Because for this case scenario, that she's only going for paper. Exactly. And that way, you know, since she's only oh, going for one at thing, minimum. Exactly. Yeah. Is a you good point. know how the minimum time it would be for her to come back. Yeah. Yeah. So if she needs to get gas or something like that, then you know, like, okay, I know it takes her twenty minutes or whatever to go there and come back. Totally. And that way, you can kind of then plan your days out. Of when you want to go in this house and searching for shit. And yeah, stuff like that. and that makes it even tougher, right? Because you said like, what is he going to do once he gets out? If that's the minimum, that's driving, right? So right. crawling, right? Or like, I mean, it could also be like knowing where your location is in general. Yeah, getting yeah. accustomed to where you're at. Because yeah. okay, the first thing he goes for is the phone. Obviously, point of contact, trying to reach someone. If not, go outside, see where you are, see where you can like navigate yourself through. Like, is there like a close by barn? He asked about the neighbors. You can like look around to see if she was lying or not. It could I be mean, a lot. You can't things, see but... out the window, right? But that's only one direction. I mean, I'm saying multiple windows. You oh, I guess more than one window. Yeah, but like, I mean, I get what you're saying. Though. Right, I get what you're saying. Uh, meanwhile, Annie grabs the paper and is on her way back. Paul is looking around the room, dropping on dropping one of her porcelain penguin figures. <gasps> he catches it, but places it down in the in a different direction back on the table. A sigh of relief, he continues moving about the room, seeing a photo book that says Memory Lane on the cover. I would have known better about that fucking penguin. Yeah, I'm same just here. Telling you right I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I'm all about putting things back the exact same yep. way I found it. She looks like a fucking stickler. Yeah. And, like, come on. Uh, then spots an area where Annie has has all his books with a signed photograph in the middle. Continuing throughout the, the house, he finds where she keeps the pills. He takes a pack. Making his way into the kitchen, his his chair gets stuck on the doorway. He painfully moves his legs to try to get out of the car um, with all of his might. Or I said car. I meant to say chair. 
My apologies. With all of his might, he slides to the back door, but it's locked. Propping himself up on the fridge, he spots the knife block, but Annie is, is pulling back in. He rushes back into his chair, hopping in and rolling back to his room as fast as he can. Annie walking back to the door, dropping a book on the, on the steps. Paul has <laughs> Paul has to close the door to uh, the living room before going into... <laughs> I'll tell you guys what I'm thinking later. <laughs> going into his house, into his room. He manages to shut his door and lock it as quickly as he possibly can she calls out to him um she has his papers opening his door he hides the pack of pills sweating profusely Annie notices that he's dripping with sweat wondering what he's been doing i i, I was watching cops Bob <laughs> 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 blames it on needing his pills she is about to uh, move him to the bed um i do love that he's like you know damn well what's yeah. been going on in here i'm in pain i feel like this is one of three of the most iconic scenes in this movie. Mm, yeah. We saw the one already where she is upset in the middle of the night that he killed off misery. And then it's this, the cuts between him trying to get back to the room and her mm-hmm. walking in the front door. I agree. I yeah. agree. And that third scene. Woo. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, he shouts no, <laughs> bleeding for her to take the pain away. That's enough for her to, that's enough for her. And she heads out of the room to grab the pills. He rushes to put the, to put the pack of pills deeper into his pants before she comes back in to feed him um, some more pills. She moves him back to, um, toward the bed, mentioning that she did, she did a lot of thinking while she was driving back, knowing that her temper is the reason why people don't get along with her, knowing he must be mad at her. He responds that everyone needs to blow off steam. She carefully moves him. That was a genius line, by the way, for him to say. Yeah. Just like, I forgive you. Yeah. Like, I didn't take it personal. Mm-hmm. Just to know that, like, I'm on your side. Yep. Um, she carefully moves him onto the bed, allowing him to get his rest. Annie, Annie, I'm thinking about the cops thing again. Where's Annie, that from again? <laughs> Stepbrothers. Thank you. <laughs> Annie hands him a notepad. If he gets any ideas, Paul thinking that he won't. She tells him uh, to think of her as an inspiration. At the door, she tells him that she has faith. She has faith in him, calling him darling and blowing him a kiss. And it's a very Aggressive kiss, very blow. aggressive blow kiss. Yeah. He yeah. catches it. She's like, kind of slaps her face when she does it. He's uh, amuses her as uh, acting as if he's catching it. Um, she leaves out of the room. Paul rolls his eyes and spits out the pills <laughs> <laughs> and throws the kiss on the floor. <laughs> Cut to Buster and the pilot flying over um, more of the covered snow. Buster spots the car buried below. The, they fish out the car as the state trooper Sher- Sherman Douglas speaks on their pr- uh, presumption that Paul is dead, knowing that he may have crawled out of his vehicle, but they can't find his body, continuing that if, if someone found him, they would have taken him to the hospital. Buster is checking out the car, noticing odd paint uh, scratch paint scratches on the door virginia asking buster if he thinks paul is dead he thinks he could be he could be but not the way that the trooper explained he knows that paul didn't crawl out of the car himself because of the dents on the door someone pulled the, pulled him out it's interesting that he wouldn't share this news with the troopers like it sounded like to me buster kind of wanted to be the hero well, I think he's just—he's not sure, or he knows they're not really gonna listen to him because they're so preoccupied with him just being dead. Yeah, like they were like, it—it it is what it is. Like, because I feel like we see this a lot with uh, within movies about like uh, law enforcement being like, we've concluded it's this, and he even said undoubtedly so. Right. Right. Um, Would you have expected this to be the moment that Marcia comes up there though? 
Well, no, because I think even more so she wouldn't come up there because... If, but they said that they couldn't find his body and all this other stuff. Like, I feel like if I was someone's agent that I cared about, I feel like I would be like, yo, I'm going out there. Know the, the, where his body is, like, search party. Like, we need to find his body. It's interesting because I, it's, when I think of a relationship between an agent, like, yeah, I don't think it's it, yeah. that intense. I don't think for, he has a wife. Or the daughter, like, I guess, would yeah. be the one to come yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, when you have, like, law enforcement making a statement then especially like in 1990 you're you're led to believe like they've done their due diligence they have enough information that that's the case and they can make right. a statement about it but I, I think what i'm going for is the fact that it's just it feels a little hard to believe that paul didn't have anyone in his corner yeah. right to try to make a little bit more effort than just calling the police a couple of times yeah you're so, right yeah uh, back with Paul folding up a piece of paper, he takes out a bit of, of the powder, tries it, then puts the rest of the contents inside the makeshift paper filter, disposing the pills into his mouth. And I like this. I like how he put, like puts the pill shells in his mouth and he's just like, he's smart. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm, they dissolve in my stomach. There, there we go. Cut to him um, staring at the typewriter for a moment, then typing fuck over and over and over. He rips out the page, puts in another, and actually begins writing. Annie comes into the room as he continues chipping away, but she tells him to throw it all out because it isn't worthy for his standards. She allows him to keep a character named after her, though. He <laughs> tells her that he values her criticism but believes her to be a little hasty. She doesn't think um, his writing is fair, sharing that her favorite thing to do when she grew up in Bakersfield, unfortunate, um, was to I go thought. to the movies on Saturday afternoons for chapter plays because that's all to fucking do in Bakersfield. Um, he corrects him. Sorry for everybody who lives in Bakersfield. Um, he corrects him, but there's nothing to do there. He corrects her, calling them cliffhangers. She yells that she knows what the, she. I know what they're called, Mister Man. Yeah, why does she say Mister Man? Is it like? I think it's just because that's her form of like motherfucker or something. God, yeah, right. Mister Man, and I also think that it's also a form of mansplaining. That's what I thought too. Yeah. You know, to where it it was just like, oh, here comes this fucking guy. Like, yeah, who's the one who's trapped here? Who's in captivity? Yeah, not me. I can Mr. get out. Man. <laughs> not Mr. me. Man. That's you. <laughs> Rolling her eyes, she continues about her favorite Rocket Man. She's like, anyway, I used to like this one named Rocket Man. <laughs> he watches as she continues explaining, getting more and more upset from them changing uh, the last events of the story. Paul speaks up that um, they always cheated like that for chapter plays. She comes up to him that he doesn't, though, not for her misery. She reminds him about a character and their actions in the book. Claiming that that to be a plot hole in his new story, that misery was buried in the ground at the end, making sure that he starts there. Bro, That's if it was tough. me, it would have straight up been a fucking zombie story. All right, <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> like misery done. bam pops out of the grave. We're go, we're coming out, but she's killing her kid. <laughs> <laughs> misery dies, chapter one. <laughs> Here we go. She's eating her, her baby in front of her husband. Just oh my God. <laughs> Mouth on the scalp. <laughs> yeah. And I would say misery's child again. That's what it's called. Uh, Annie is reading a piece of the manuscript while he watches her in the room. She finishes. He asks if it if it is fair and he should uh, continue. She smiles as she romanticizes his idea of bringing misery back from the dead. Her, excited con uh, her excitement continues as asking if she read each finished chapter if she could read each finished chapter allowing herself to fill in the ends she asks a question about the progression in the of the story paul telling her that she what she has to wait god i'm so happy we don't have to use typewriters anymore 
Like it's something <laughs> nostalgic about it for sure. But I just make way too many mistakes with my writing. That's true. Yeah. That, no, you know, that's something I always forget to think about is if you make a mistake. Yeah, white out. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. My my mom used to use a typewriter very faithfully. Yeah. And for years she had a computer. And she just preferred a typewriter. And I right. think she liked the clicks. I, Sometimes it jams, the paper jams. Oh, yeah. There's that was, that was a lot of stuff. Even being a kid in elementary school, I hated using uh, whiteout because I hated waiting for it to dry. <laughs> That's fair. And then you had the tape ones, but... No. Oh, the, the tape, tape ones were sick. The tape ones, I can never... I can never figure them out. Do yeah, it, right? I can never do it. Yeah. You get the one strip down, you got half of the like the text. Exactly. You go again it with the second ripping. layers. Yeah. I'm like, like what is happening it with gets my life? jammed. I was like, fuck it, I'll just start over. <laughs> <laughs> she asked for a hint, but he keeps uh, he keeps her waiting. She twirls around shouting that misery's alive, misery's alive. <laughs> She's stoked. Calling it romantic and that the house will be filled with romance. She gasps as she goes to put on Liberace records. She runs back to make sure that he likes the artist. He tells her what he, what he wants to hear He's like, yeah, I would like to hear NWA. Um, <laughs> and he's letting her know that he'll play, he'll play him um, to inspire him, and that he is all, his, um, he is his all-time favorite. Uh, he calls her back to have dinner with him tonight to celebrate Misery's return. She is mystified, agreeing that they'll, that'll be an honor. Virginia is on the phone. Jim asking for Buster on, um, on the other end. Um. He isn't there. She jokes that he might be out having an affair. Buster comes into the office. She, I love her dry humor. Dude, it's she's so good. It's so flawless. Amazing. So My humor. <laughs> Buster comes into the office. She hands him the phone, spreading the, the affair joke to him as well. He takes the phone, uh, talking to Jim about his, about his benches at the front of his store. <laughs> it's like, Jim, you got benches <laughs> in the front of the store. We were going to sit on them. What do you want me to do about it, dude? <laughs> Don't have benches there. <laughs> she pulls out of all the misery books out of the bag commenting about um, whoever she is she likes to read he's <laughs> flattered but he thinks and I love that he's flattered because he's just like I'm flattered that you think that I would have the energy, have the energy to, energy have to have even want to do that yeah. <laughs> um, but he thinks that uh, he will try to figure out who wrote um, what he wrote about. She sarcastically asks what he expects to find. Buster commenting about the about her sarcasm, given their marriage spice. There's that spice again. Paul <laughs> is uh, sitting at the dinner table. Annie um, comes out with a basket of bread. He hopes that he likes it. Um, he claims that the food in, in her looks wonderful. She blushes and sits across <laughs> from him, watching him eat the meatloaf. And it's a little scary when she's watching him eat the meatloaf. I'm just like, what did you do to that meatloaf? Right. <laughs> what did you do? And I think at this point, she knows that he's been around already, the house. Of course. Yeah, and of that's course she knows. super scary to me. It's of like, course she knows. Like, there, there's two things that he probably did wrong. One, he probably put the phone down wrong. Right. And we didn't the know. fucking penguin. And then you put that penguin down wrong, <laughs> which she probably looks at all the time, like, if it's going to sit on her table or something she seems like the type but i don't know like i, I definitely knows i don't i think she also knows that one of her pills sets are gone as well she's a very intelligent human being she's just fucking and unstable like, so she's crazy to think about do you point. two think at this moment she knows this i think so yeah it's hard to tell because she feels so nonchalant yeah you know like she feels free i don't think she knew about him drugging her yeah, I don't think so I think either. she knew that he was out, and I think she knew about the pills, but I don't think she knew that his point was to drug her. Because of her explosive behavior and how react, like how reactive based she is, like right. I don't think she's found out quite yet. 
Yeah. About any of that. But well, that's re- well remember opinion. how calm she is when she does find out that she, that he's been out. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. Uh, he compliments the food, asking her how um how good it is. Um, she shares her, him a secret of how she cooked the meatloaf. Paul continues joking. You know what? As a kid, you know, like that was like a thing. Like people just despised meatloaf. I was about to bring it up. I love meatloaf. I was about to ask if you guys ever had meatloaf because I never have. You never had meatloaf. It looks disgusting to me. <laughs> it's it, lump now, of meat. What is it? So okay, it's a couple of things. It's misery to pig. It's misery. To oh pig. boy, um, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the way Kathleen makes it is um, kind of barbecue style. Oh, but literally, think me. think of it as a burger patty. And it's just formed inside of a tin can, kind of, not tin can, Got but it. like a like a pan. Yeah. And you put that in the oven, then you douse it with a barbecue sauce. The reason why people don't like meatloaf though is because a lot of people put ketchup on it. Ooh. And they yeah. they people put do that, that in the oven. Oh, with the ketchup. Yeah. Oh, you lost I me. Mean, yeah. Pasta sauce so Ka- Kathleen, yeah. Pa- you either do yeah. it with pasta sauce. That's that's one of the things. That makes sense. Or you do it with barbecue sauce. Because barbecue sauce is meant... It's like, I'll write this down. <laughs> I'll take good recipes. Uh, he asked for them to... Um, we should just make a cooking show. Um, he asked uh, for them to have a toast, pouring her a glass of wine. They clank glasses to misery. Paul stopping her from taking a sip, asking her if she um, has candles so they can do it right. Uh, she believes she does, leaving out of the room to find some. He asks about her, uh, about her knack of excuse me, for interior design. She responds for uh, the other um, as he puts the pills into her drink and swirls them around. It would have been nice for him to like swirl around with his finger and then lick his finger. Ew. <laughs> I think this is a, this is a great moment for like a first time viewer. This is scary. Because you kind of forget about like what he was doing with those right. pills, right? And then it's this moment. Um, so I think this is very so satisfying good. for someone who's watching it for the first time. Absolutely. He tells her um, to forget about the candles, but she comes back into the room with a candle. Stoked about having a candlelit dinner with Paul, he toasts that he toasts they're about to clink glasses, but she knocks over the candle and drops the glass of wine. And this is equally dissatisfying. Yes. She apologizes, asking for his forgiveness. Paul staring at the table in shock and disappointment. Okay. Pouring another glass, she toasts to misery, wanting to pretend that this never happened. He gives in, accepting the toast. Cut to him, continuing to chip away at the at the chapters, and he continuing to read them as they come along. Buster uh, reading his book as well. And I love all of this. Like you can really see the like how he the brings his strength back. Yeah. Too, because Paul occasionally lifts the heavy typewriter over his head while typing. And this is great. We love a training montage. We do. Right. We do. <laughs> Gotta cue it in. Play Hearts on Fire, actually. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Uh, a thunderstorm outside of the house. Paul is lifting the typewriter, quickly sitting it down before Annie comes into the room. And he's getting scrawled. Yeah. Like Annie Strong. <laughs> <laughs> she is disheveled and drained, mundanely handing him his pills. He asks her what's wrong. She uh, shares the rain gets her down, Share, uh, sharing uh, that when he first came here, she only loved the writer part of him. But now she knows the re- that 
now she knows she loves the rest of him. She looks at him, knowing that he doesn't love her back. And for him not to say that he does, calling him brilliant and famous, for um, her not being the quote-unquote movie star type, uh, him not ever being able to know the fear of losing someone like him if he was someone like her. He wonders why she would lose him. She tells him that his book is almost finished and he's getting stronger. Paul tries... She's like, I've been seeing you with that damn typewriter. <laughs> Paul tries to butter her up that he still likes it there, not knowing why he uh, would have... Why he would want to leave. She accepts her. She accepts his kindness, but she knows that it isn't true. Annie pulls out a gun from her pocket, casually pulling the trigger, but um, it doesn't have any bullets. She asks about. She asks about using it sometimes, excusing herself, thinking that um, she just may put bullets in it. Fucking nightmare fuel. She's like, now, I have this gun. Now here's the thing. If you were Paul, this is gonna be morbidly fucked up would you have tried to convince her um no i don't i I I would not solely is gonna sound really fucked up solely because i don't think it would work okay okay but if it would have worked you would have used that as a tactic yes in this scenario yes okay so there you go everybody don't kidnap david because he's gonna make you try to get not like yeah don't (laughs) kidnap me (laughs) um I, i don't think i would either but just because i just don't know how i would live myself um, right. but I was curious by this as to why would he say that he likes staying there and he doesn't see any point in leaving when she pretty much just agreed in that moment that I'm going to let you go after you finish your book. Well, I think it's more so he's under the presumption and this is why I said I would do it is that because this is immediately what, what came to mind is that he's she's going to take him out and then her afterwards. Which we get context of later, yes. But even before that, like, that is what comes to mind. And I think that's what comes to mind for him because, like, she hasn't – she's shown that she's off the fritz, right? And she's explosive in her behavior. And even before that, like, she could just do it, right? Yeah. I don't think he believes in what she's saying right now, to be honest. Tegan? I don't think uh, he believes that he's going to be set free after the book is written. Mm. Mm. Also, that's and I think it's like I'm going to still play it safe. It's like, no, I love it here. So why would why would you say you wouldn't want to convince her? Because morally, you just feel like you wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. Just like I feel like there's other ways to do it. Perhaps Um, I mean mean, we saw later that there wasn't. Right, but (laughs) it gets gets to the point. It's like, yeah, it's gonna be like I'm gonna have to kill you to save myself at one point. But at the same time, it's like. I'm gonna do it. I don't want you to do it. I don't want, like to get someone that, that low to like. Sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. We're just like, damn, believe her. But yeah. I have no heart. <laughs> <That's fair>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just curious. I was just curious because in that moment, that's what that was something that popped right. into my head. Like, I, yeah, what if you would have used it as a tactic? Like, this movie would have gotten even darker. Yeah. So, like, not to be to make myself sound even more fucked up, but like, I've had. Throughout my whole life, I've always had scenarios where if I'm ever put in a situation or, you know, when it comes to things like this and being abductive, being a victim, I've always t- mentally prepared myself throughout my life to tell myself, you do what needs to be done. That's fair. I mean, that's probably what would save you in the long run. Yeah. If this were to happen. Yeah. Word. Uh, <laughs> she steps outside of the house and drives away. Paul watches her through the window. He takes this opportunity to grab a knife out on the block. Buster is reading out. 
reading out of Paul's book, quote, there is a justice higher than that of man. Uh, I would be judged by him, end quote. I think very quickly, yes. this is a great follow-up scene oh, yeah. for after the scene that we just saw, right? Because uh, Paul is put in a place now where he understands that he needs to kill Annie before yes. Annie kills him. Yes. And following up with the quote, there's a higher judgment or of than man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important because I think it also, you know, a lot of people would come face to face when they're watching this, especially in 1990 of like, um, how can he kill her? That's yeah. still not right. And not only that, but um, from like a, an unknowingly perspective, it's a man killing a woman. Right. Um, and a lot of times people will look at that as like, how could this, sweet nurse of a woman abduct this man right and not saying that a woman can't do that but i think there's so many different connotations that could be looked at it um but this quote is a really smart follow-up for the direct scene right after right the whole gun scene i agree virginia asks what he tells her about the section of the story he writes down the quote meanwhile paul is is going back to his room he spots the scrapbook of memory lane a clipping of of his article in it. He goes he goes through the books, skipping one of the one, skipping some of the photos, but stopping on Carl Wilkes, Annie's father. Article of him plunging to his death. Continuing through the book, and it even says that she was she was standing right next to him or something like when he died. Yeah, yeah. fucking bananas. Con- uh, continuing through uh, the book, he comes across an article of a nursing student also falling to her death. Next page, Annie's articles of some of her achievements, yet how death somehow follows her. Another sinister turn when an article mentions Annie was named the county's head maternity nurse. More about a more about a baby dying after five weeks struggles inside the hospital, and then more articles of newborn deaths. Until he gets to a page where Annie was placed behind bars. He goes back into his room. While lying in his bed with a sling, he practices taking, taking the knife out. Finally, Annie comes back home. He makes sure uh, that the knife is properly hidden and I, I love how he's practicing he's like it's <laughs> so sick it caught me off guard too like as a viewer I was like what's he doing oh it's a knife in your <laughs> little uh, hidden little pocket I was like oh there's some Assassin's Creed shit okay I like it <laughs> again this is shit I did as a kid I would straight up practice for like an attacker oh wow yeah I mean I'm with you and I think it's because I had a parent that very much instilled me that like survive yeah and like you can you could get kidnapped do yeah. this, you'll get kidnapped. Blah blah blah. Someone's gonna steal you. Blah, blah, like, My grandmother gave me permission to cuss as a child if someone I didn't know was grabbing me. Yeah, she was like, "That's that's gonna get someone's attention." Kids scream all the time. Yeah, like say some cuss words. To this day, I think that's was, smart. That is smart. That's a yeah. really good lesson. To, that's like, teach your kids. Till this, uh, and I'm passing it on to my daughter. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> till this day, there's this one scenario where I feel like I was like inches away from getting kidnapped. Oh my god. Yeah. That's terrifying. Dude, yeah. Even, it like fucked with me for years. Oh, that's Dude. so scary. Yeah. It, it's weird because even like as an adult, I've like recently like saw something happen. It's like I was in the middle of the city and I was like just in the parking lot and this car literally blocked my way out of it. And then there was another car behind me that was trying to like block me in. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> this is happening right now. <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, I don't know if they're going to rob me, which sure. probably would be the main thing. But it's like, I could have been kidnapped too. But I was like, yeah. I found like an opening. And I just fucking took it. I was like, I'm not hesitating. So then I yeah. left. And I was like, wow, this is a weird situation that I just got myself out of. I was like, yeah, as no, an that- adult, as a 30 year old, I'm like, damn, this yeah. shit is wild. Something like that Life similar is crazy. has happened to me, but this dude pulled a gun out on me. Yeah. yeah. Fun. It, was, 
Not fun. Then he chased me on an, on his motorcycle. And oh my god! Dude, the yeah. world is a crazy place. It's bananas. That was the best day of my life. She <laughs> walks into the house. He anticipates her as he watches his door. She stops in the front of his door but doesn't open it. Sorry, <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> Sorry. Ellie. <laughs> Instead, she heads she heads into her room, turning on her TV. He moves the knife in between his mattress. Um, he whispers that he'll see her in the morning. Cuts him asleep. The rain continuing to trickle outside his window. I would I would have tried my best to stay awake as much as you know, possible. You know, I thought that as well. But it's like at one moment, like, or at some point, like, sleep will get you. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially if there's nothing to really do yeah. in there. Except you're like, in the dark. Write your book, I guess. Yeah. Um, Paul awakes. Annie's standing right, right in. Oh, excuse me. Paul awakes. Annie's standing right above him. She injects him with something that knocks him back out. And then... She leaves out of the room. Next morning, Paul wakes up in a daze. Annie calls to him, knowing that he's been out of his room as she ties him to the bed. He, t- he tells her that he hasn't as he reaches for the knife in between the mattress. She, sh- she knows because her penguin faces south. He continues playing it off, pulling out a knife. To- she is pulling out, oh, excuse me, pulling out the knife to show him, asking him what he's looking for. This whole moment when she pulls that knife out, she's like, look over this. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> and this is a this amazing. Is, this is 1990. This is a time where that 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 like conversation of like, oh, looking for this isn't like played out, right? Right. right. It's it's it's, it's a very effective moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's honestly, it's really really good. She knows that he's been out twice, not knowing how he did it. But last night she found the bobby pin. Continuing at the foot of the bed, she speaks on on her scrapbook being left out. And you know what's interesting? I, the reason why I thought she knew he was out and about inside the house was mainly because I feel like she was more so trying to figure out how is he getting out. I yeah. think she wanted the full context of just like, I need to know how he's getting out before I confront his ass. Yeah. Um, and that way she just kind of is able to take all that stuff away mm-hmm. to let him know that like you're powerless again. Yeah. Like you're not going to be able to do it again. When um, in the previous scene where she, he's like practicing with the knife and he's in bed and he sees the shadow under this, like the door, the door. I already know that she knew that the knife was missing and she's like, should I go in and confront it now or should I wait until he passes out and find the knife the next morning and take care of everything? Yeah. It's like she, she knew everything. Yeah. She was really smart. And totally. I think, honestly, I don't know how smart I think our antagonist really is, but I think at the dinner scene with the wine, too, I feel like, oh, I'm going to leave the room. He's going to try something. I'm going to spill the wine. I'm not going to drink the wine. And I, I honestly believe that, too. Maybe. I wonder. Because I, I wondered the same thing. I was like, what like, What's the coincidence of her really dropping that wine glass? Yeah. And I think it's very to, slim. I think it's meant to be open-ended for you to never know if she really knew or not. Right. Right. Yeah. Letting him know that it is okay and he needs more time, eventually accepting that he's there. While taping a, a plank of wood, she tells Paul, while tapping a plank of wood, she tells Paul about um, the Kimberly mines and uh, what they did to the native workers that stole diamonds, assuring him that they didn't kill them. Instead, they made sure that they continued working while not being able to run away, calling the operation hobbling. She grabs the, the block of wood, placing, placing the wood in between his ankles. Paul pleads for her to not do this. Um, she picks up the sledgehammer. Iconic scene number three. Yes, it is. He continues pleading as she tells him to, th- to uh, trust her, and it is for the best. Trust you? You're about to fucking take my ankles away. Oh, God. <laughs> she swings and breaks one of his ankles, and this looks 
brutal. I cannot watch the so scene. Yeah, brutal. I went into this movie completely blind without knowing anything except uh-huh. for this one scene okay, because scene I know it's very this. iconic. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's been commercials and stuff like that that play a parody on this. Family I mean, there's it. Family Guy. There's also <laughs> so, Treehouse of Horror. Uh, I was a whole bunch of stuff. somewhat prepared for this scene. It's kind of like the degloving scene surprised from. You. Yeah, it still surprised me because I didn't know that they don't cut away from the first hit. Yeah. Yes, and you see it, and you see it bend. I'm just oh. like, fuck. And I, yeah. I ended up watching it with my housemate at one point, and she was like watching this, it's like, oh fuck, why did that happen? I was like, oh shit, I didn't know it was gonna happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know what's now? Oh man, but yeah, it was an intense <laughs> moment. Oh man, um, moving the other side to take care of the next one. He screams in pain. Herc, um, commenting that she loves him. She's like, uh, yeah. she's like, I love you. Oh, God, dude. Yeah, that's, that's how you know she's off psychotic. the deep end. <sighs> Annie is driving that's in town. A buster reading, uh, reading in the station, noticing that she almost crashes into another car. <clears throat> Excuse me. She calls to the other person, cockatoodle. And she also calls him a poop instead of shit. Buster watches her uh, go inside the store, has has a thought, then heads back inside. He tells Virginia to leave it, her flirtatiously telling him that she likes that tone. He ruffles the papers, <laughs> finding the note of the uh, of the quote, and he pull and he heads out. Inside the library, um, Buster t- uh, looks through large books of old newspaper clippings, finding one about the infant deaths. He continues searching, eventually finding the uh, the one about Annie going to jail. He reads the quote, quote, there is a justice higher than that of man. I will be judged by him. End quote. He places the quote on top of on top to make sure. Meanwhile, Annie comes back home. Paul's sitting there um, staring at nothing. She calls out to him, calling him pumpkin as he greets him. As she greets him, he just flips her off, so and she good. just thinks he's kidding. She's like, "Oh, you kidder!" This scene is so funny. <laughs> Cut to Buster going and in, going into the general store, greeting Pete. He asks if he um has any new Paul Sheldon books. Pete tells him that he did, but they sold out in three days. Buster asks if Annie brought if Annie bought one of them. He uh Pete shares that every time Paul has a new book, she has uh, she has him set aside a new copy. He asks Pete if she has. Uh, bought anything odd. Pete doesn't think anything of it, just commenting about her buying paper for typing. Buster officially has his confirmation, commenting that um, that not being odd and while he walks out. Pete asks if she's done something. Paul uh, Buster tells him nothing. Buster is on his way to Annie's. Paul, hearing the cruiser coming down, surprised that someone is actually coming down the road, he notices that it is a cop. Annie comes into the room quickly with a syringe in hand. He tries to fight her off, but he succumbs to the injection. She uh, she immediately takes him to the basement, upset about not trusting her. Buster walks him to walks up to the door. Annie continuing to clean up um, where she can where she what she can. He is about to knock on the door, Annie opening the door before he can knock, acting like she was startled. He apologizes. She gleefully tells him that uh, she's not used to visitors out there, asking what she what she can do for him. Buster asks if she, if she knows anything about Paul. She t- asks what does he, what does he want to know. He tells her anything. Annie starts spitting some hard facts about Paul's life. He stops her, sharing that he's missing. She cuts him off, calling it sad and that she knows, commenting about her being his number one fan. She invites him inside, speaking about the accident. He asks if he could, if he can look around. She allows him to. Annie continues speaking about the accident and how she almost died here in the news. She And I love how she says this. She's like, I almost died. Yeah. 
when I heard the news. Like, so <laughs> she's just, she kind of had that brief pause. It was fantastic. He can, she continues that she, when, she, when she was praying, God told her to get ready to be his replacement. Mm. That, in my head, if I was Buster, I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Claiming that she is his number one fan, she should make up new stories as if she was Paul. Adding that she uh, bought a typewriter and paper that he used, um, that uh, he used, turning her guest room into a writing studio. He's listening, but not caring as he continues searching around. She asks if he would like to see. If he would like to see it, he agrees. Meanwhile, Paul is slightly start, starting to wake up. Back with Annie and Buster, she continues claiming that she's been uh, trying to write like Paul. Buster com- commenting that uh, that it takes practice. She thinks to give him a few pages asking for his, criti- for his criticism. He disagrees. She offers him a hot chocolate. Buster tries to deny, but she insists. He calls out to her, thinking it to be lonely in the house, uh, to be lonely in that house. She um, answers in a chipper tone. He moves as if he's going to go back into the room. She follows as if she's going to go back into the kitchen. They psych each other out, but he does it again, and then he heads upstairs. Loud as fuck, mind you. Yeah. It's just like, I'm going upstairs. Yep. Like, it's just, <laughs> like you're, you're doing this really loud, my man. <laughs> um, Paul continues trying to snap out of the daze, hitting the pit. Buster checks inside, and this was smart of him to like muster up the strength to just make noise exactly. any kind of noise buster checks inside of a room he he leaves to check it um inside of another looking around the room for a moment annie comes into the room she offers him a cup of cocoa he denies saying that he has to leave they head for the door annie continuing to try to get him to take a sip denying it again he asked to pay her another visit annie claiming that she would be delighted since he knows the way Paul drops uh, the fire pit in the basement. Buster is about to leave, but he hears it, running back inside to call for Annie, thinking she's in trouble. Thinking she got hurt, Paul uh, Paul calls out to him. He uh, pushes the basement door open, uh, calling out to Paul. Annie shoots him straight in the back with a shotgun. Heartbreaking. Buster falling dead on the stairs. It's an intense I hate her. shot, too. It is yeah. so intense. It caught me off guard. Oh, I'm sure it did. And it showed like a lot of brutality to it too because it went through his chest. Yeah. And you just see like really good like practical effects. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's a, really good. It's a lot of like, lot here's of that twenty million dollars. There. There's a budget. <laughs> a lot of a lot of meat just flapping around out of his chest there. So um and- um, so <laughs> she, uh, she tells him not to feel bad because it is bound to happen. You know why this moment's so sad for me? Virginia never gets like actual closure. Oh, I think you said right. she never got laid. Oh, who? Virginia? I'm sure they were going <laughs> oh, at it shit. every night. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Buster the Rabbit, uh, call, claiming to be ill, claiming to be assigned, knowing that she was chosen to save him, um, and that they were they were meant to be together forever. Oh, fuck. At, at that moment, I'd be like, all hope is fucking gone. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like this is it. Like, like just honestly. kill me, dude. Like, do what you gotta do. Um, but their time has come to an end. Wanting to perform a murder suicide with two leftover bullets in the gun, calling it beautiful before she leaves. Paul looks around for a bit, spotting the lighter fluid. Annie um, comes back with a gun and syringe, telling him to not be afraid and that she loves him. 
He says it back, telling her that she's right about them needing to be together. She continues that he knows they must die so Misery can live, buttering her biscuits even more about them having to power the power to give Misery eternal life, concluding that they must finish the book. She tells him uh, the time is now and soon others will come. But the book is almost finished and by dawn she can give misery back to the world. She uh, walks back upstairs um, for his chair. He grabs the lighter fluid before she comes back with uh, comes back with his chair. She leaves it as, at the top of the steps, leaving it to, uh, leaving to fix him some food. Not going to help him? I know, right? Just like, like, all right, come up when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Jesus, like I just picture his legs like just dangling as he's trying stairs. to like yeah. come up the stairs. Each bump just hurting like crazy. Cuts to Paul finishing up the book, and he comes into the room, um, dying, wanting to know what, how the story ends. While typing, he comments that she'll know soon. He stops to request, or, or he stops the requ- to request that everything um, to be perfect when he finish needing three things. She asks what things um, does he need, but he knows that she knows. She pronounces the name, or he, and he smiles knowing that, uh, that he needs a cigarette and champagne. She pronounces the name wrong, but um, he agrees, and she leaves out of the room. I love how he re-pronounces it the yeah. same way. He's like, yeah, Don Perinange. <laughs> <laughs> um, he continues writing, then um, calls for Annie. And that was interesting, though, when her pronouncing that name wrong and things like that. That was like a misstep for me right. of knowing like, oh, Annie, like even though, yeah, she's psychotic as all heck, she definitely has some innocence to her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You see that. Um, With her not misery, swearing, too. Yeah, but also with yeah. that moment where Misery's ridden back to life and she twirls around twirls in a around. circle Misery's like a alive. child. Misery's alive, yeah. yeah. No, very, very great point. Um, she storms back into the room. Paul sharing that he's almost done. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I read that part. Um, she's excited about the ending, telling her that uh, to get the champagne and she'll know everything soon. She gathers the cigarette and bottle of champagne, placing the gun in, into her pocket. Bringing, she was prepping. <laughs> bringing into the room for Paul. She asks if she, if she did good. He comments that she did perfect with a smile on his face. But he tells her f- except for one thing. Adding that they will need two glasses. She is smitten and goes out to get the other glass. Paul springs into action to prepare the papers on the ground, spitting the, uh, the lighter fluid on top. He readies himself with a crumbled paper and a match in hand. She comes back into the room, smile dropping. Paul reminds her about nobody knowing whose misery real father was. Or... If they'll be reunited, he tells her that it is all right there, asking the fate his main, asking the fate of his main character to Annie. He met, he lights the match, setting the last page on fire. She screams that he can't that that he can't, but he learned from her. Then lights the rest of the papers on fire. She runs over to pat the fire out while screaming, "No, not my misery!" Paul picks up the typewriter, bashing her in the head with it. Her arm catches on fire. She immediately pats it out, running over to Paul, choking him, screaming that um, she's going to kill him as she calls him a lying cocksucker. Oh my Wow. I was like, growth. This is it. Growth. (laughs) She (laughs) smashes his head on the window. (laughs) He pokes her, he pokes her in the eyes, hitting her in the nose. She pulls out, she pulls out the gun, shooting him in the shoulder. He comes back and jumps on her, making her um, fire her last shot. They struggle on top of each other, Paul getting the upper hand, smacking her head on the floor, forcing her to eat the uh, the singed papers. (laughs) I was like, damn. Yeah, I love that. He's just like, yo, 
getting brutal. If it were me, I would have been elbowing it. Like, <laughs> like, like jam it in there. Um, he needs, um, she needs him running over uh, toward him. Paul trips her, causing her to fall on the typewriter. And I love this because she totally turns into a doll. Yep. <laughs> It's fantastic. It's a creepy doll. It's a very it creepy doll. Um, with heavy breath, he checks uh, to see if she's dead. I would have been picking that damn typewriter up again and just Smashing. keep going. With he- um, Once confirmed, he slides out of the room, Annie jumping on his back. He bites her hand, struggling to get to get to the uh, weighted door stopper. He hits her in the head, um, then the face. Or he hits her in, in the arm, then in the Ooh. face, she falls on top of him. He moves Annie off of him, trying to catch his breath. 18 months later in New York, Paul is wa- is walking into a restaurant. Marcia hands him his new book, uh, The Higher Education of J. Philip Stone. She, she tells him that she tells him um, it w- is his very first copy, adding that the Times review was going to be a love letter. He chuckles about that being a first. She continues claiming that critics are raving. Paul is nonchalant about the critics um, taking a liking to a story. Marcia, uh, thinking he would have been thrilled, he tells her that he's delighted, but he wrote it for himself. Going over the whole experience of Annie helped help. Um, going over the whole experience of Annie being something that actually helped him. She asks. She asks him if he asks him how he feels about creating a nonfiction book about uh, what, went in, what went on in there. He jokes about writing about the worst experience of his life for some money. Looking over, spitting, um, um, seeing Annie walking down the aisle with a tray of sweets, Marcia commenting that he thought she was o- that um, he was over it, but even though she's dead, he still thinks about her once in a while. It turns back into the, to the waitress asking him if he's Paul Sheldon. He sh- her sharing that She's his number one fan. He calls it sweet of her. Then credits. This movie, dude. I love that last scene, too. This movie, dude. It's great to show the effect of the PTSD, right? Right. Oh, hands down. But I feel like there's also a big social commentary about fandoms and how toxic it can be. Oh, hands down. And this is obviously to an extreme. And you never know. This could fucking happen. There's crazy people out there. I think there's a lot of stalking even more so now with social media. And especially with the rise of uh, influencers and them predominantly being females or women. Um, You have a lot of... uh, Fans that are primarily men that get in this stalker mentality. So I think right. you're totally right. And it's one of those things like we forget that like even like big stars or celebrities, they're fucking human. They're people yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And, and I love people, seeing the yeah, perspective that we see the POV <laughs> of him being like that famous person, seeing this all get like the big showdown and stuff like that and being like, yes, now because of that, I see her everywhere. And then he hears that like iconic lines like, I'm your number one fan. And that's where right. we end it in credits. I was like, beautiful. Love this movie. Yeah. Love this movie. It's Great movie. It's fantastic. Like, legit, like I said, like, Tin Cloverfield Lane is literally just misery. Yeah. And it's just, it's... It's not a bad thing. That's not me knocking it. Like, no, it's, it's a just, great movie, too. It's a great movie as well. But I got some movie facts for us here. Movie, movie facts. facts. Jack Nicholson was offered the role of Paul Sheldon, but passed because... He was not sure he wanted to do another movie based on one, one of Stephen King's novels oh, after yeah. what he had experienced with Stanley Kubrick's On the Shining. Damn. That's 
kind of fair. That's nah, fair. Uh, Stephen King was quite impressed with Kathy Bates' performance in this film, so much so that he later wrote two more roles for her. Whoa. The title role in his novel Dolores Colliborn was written with Bates in mind, and Bates later starred in the film adaption of Dolores um, Colliborn. In 1995, King also wrote the script for the TV miniseries The St- The Stand. Sorry, I got the hiccups. Excuse me. That's fascinating that he wrote them specifically for her. Yeah, to play. That's right. awesome. Yeah. His uh, original novel featured a male character named Ray Flowers. Upon hearing that Bates wanted to be involved in the miniseries, King rewrote the part as a woman named Ray Flowers, just so Bates can play the part. That's really cool. <laughs> so and cool. he just respelled it um, with R E R A E instead of R A Y. That's awesome. I was like, that's genius. Uh, one of Stephen King's first typewriters had a malfunctioning in key, just like the one used in by Paul in the movie. In the novel, the typewriter also drops its T and E keys. Those two letters are um, the second the second and first most common used letters in English language, respectively, making Paul's job even tougher. You know, I had a feeling that with the, the key not working, if that was, or I had a feeling that he probably experienced something like that yeah. at one point. It's an odd... Annie Wilkes in Stephen King's favorite um, Annie Wilkes is Stephen King's favorite written character because she was always surprising to write with unexpected depth and sympathy. That's so fucking cool. I like that. So cool. Let's do two more with this one. Misery was almost turned into a Broadway play with Julia Roberts <laughs> as Annie Wilkes. What the King hell? vetoed the idea because Annie is, in his words, a brawny woman who can sling a guy around, not a pixie. Yeah. Oh, However, damn. in 2015, a Broadway adaption was ultimately produced to critical and commercial success, starring Bruce Willis as Paul Sheldon and Laurie Metcalf as Annie Wilkes. Oh, I had no Bruce idea. Bruce Willis. Wow. Bruce Willis. That's funny. Um, let's do this one. No, 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 no. Rob Reiner was questioned before heading into production if this was really the right project for him as his background was mostly comedies up to this point. He stated, quote, it's important for, for me to find my way into the film. And as as you will see, the movie's really about a man who was trapped by his own success and is desperately trying to break out and establish himself in a different way. I felt very much those feelings when I uh, finished All in the Family, end quote. Yeah, hearing that he was the one that did this film was very surprising to me. Super from surprising. His work, yeah. I mean, it's, it's he did an amazing like, job. I agree. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you hear Bob Clark is the guy who made, uh, uh, God, why am I blanking on the name? Black Christmas. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who also made a Christmas story. Yeah. So, That's crazy. Yeah. Same, same. Same, same. But different, but same. The same. Christmas. 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 Damn, though. What a fucking movie, y'all. What a Dude. fucking movie. Oink, oink. But definitely keep us let us know on Twitter what you think about misery, and that's night at nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a K. Definitely want to keep this conversation going. Definitely want to keep the celebration going with Stephen King in general. But next week we got a motherfucking banger coming towards y'all. Some say a car banger because we got Christine. As the next movie that we'll be covering. I'm so excited to watch that again. I haven't seen this in years. And this is going to be like almost a first time watch for me. Because I've only seen it once. So very excited about that for sure. But this was Nightlight. A horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince. Also known as Head Knight. And alongside me, we got David. Stay spooky, everyone. 
Oink, oink. <laughs> Since he wasn't going to do it, I got to do it. Also known as Nightly Other in there, we have Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. Also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get the show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over on Patreon.com. On, oh my gosh. On Patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Point twisted. My apologies. By pledge on Patreon, you access the show ad free and as early as Monday with the post show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Remember, everybody, don't forget your night. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.